before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline continues to remain your number one place for all your betting needs and sports info as we head into the heart of Major League Baseball season. Head to their website or use your mobile device to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is July 7th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. This is, I think, episode like 980 on the Take It Easy podcast, but however many episodes it is, it's pretty damn close to a thousand, and we've been going every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as about 121 wired ups for over three years now, and I appreciate each and every one of you and your continued support of this fine programming, or at least above average programming, or maybe average, who knows, used to not be very good, now it's at least better. We've got our friend Juju Talks Sports from the Slump Buster Podcast joining us here on today's episode of the show. We're going to talk a little baseball. We're going to talk about the loss. Well, he's going to talk mostly, but you'll hear conversation. No, it's not a conversation. You're going to hear Juju talk for 10 minutes about the Los Angeles Clippers on the show as well today. I also have some college football stuff that I want to get to. I run the risk of sounding redundant because there's a lot that's going to be frequently changing in college football, and one thing that I talk about today could be totally irrelevant by the time tomorrow rolls around, so I guess it's going to be a bit of a sportsy radio type of show. But we'll get to all that in a minute. The first place I'm going to start off for the A block here today, and I'm a little hesitant to uh, to mark this as the A block for today's show is, uh, and this is again, this is coming off of a day where we, or, or I spent seven to ten hours over two days making episode two of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. It's a documentary series I'm working on in my free time graduating college. If you download yesterday's show, I get paid for making that. If not, it's okay. Download it on its podcast feed. It's on SB Nation. Check that out as well. So I've spent a lot of time doing that. I was thinking today's show would either have Blake Jude. His power went out, so it looks like we're going to push that conversation back to later in the week. 
or I thought we'd have a verdict on the Deshaun Watson ruling. Neither of those things have happened so far. College football stuff is interesting, but again, within the next few days, it's going to age out a little bit. I forgot to mention at the beginning, sometimes I do this, which is, let's take you behind the curtain and show you how the Wizard of Oz comes to be. Don't look behind the green curtain. Well, we're going to look behind the green curtain a little bit and show you that Plan A, coming off of the Spurs dynasty, was to talk to Blake Jude, and Plan B was that there would be a Deshaun Watson verdict, and that would be our full podcast, and although I'm tired and I've done a lot of researching and put a lot of emotion into episode two, which again, you can download on this podcast feed and wherever you get podcasts, I don't mean to shamelessly plug so much, I really, really want the support from that podcast series, but basically, so coming off that, those were Plan A, and now I'm at Plan C, which is... Fuck, do we have to talk about Baker Mayfield? God damn it, do we have to... God damn... Anything else? Chet Holmgren Summer League? No, we only... It's not even the real Summer League. No. Kevin Durant, anything? Uh, Kevin Durant's avoiding NBA players on texts? Okay. Uh, Anything else? No, any interesting baseball game? No, no trade deadline yet? Oh, wait, 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 we're going to talk to Bob Nightingale later in the week? Oh, okay, I guess we'll save baseball talk. Uh, damn it, I guess we got to talk about Baker Mayfield. Come on, do we have to, do, do we have to talk about Baker Mayfield? This is just the internal monologue that's going on in my head. This started out as like, hey, here's a cute joke to make the punchline fuck, do we have to talk about Baker Mayfield? But then in my head, I'm like, my internal monologue is just like, anything? (laughs) Nobody had a massive racism scandal? Nobody had toxic workplace culture? Nothing new? Nothing? No, No societal commentary we could talk about? No pride night controversy like with the tampa bay rays there's no full-scale story ucla was apparently a hundred million dollars in debt and their athletic program was thinking of cutting nearly half their teams prior to the the big 10 deal coming through to help you know bail them out after they they took a whole bunch of money from under armor and then under armor declared virtual bankruptcy and basically ripped up their contract that's interesting that that can make a b block anything any baker may really baker mayfield okay i I guess uh well we knew the trade was going to happen for four months and baker mayfield's an upgrade over sam darnold but it's not enough of an upgrade to make the panthers win any more games than they would have with sam darnold and the carolina panthers are a perpetually mediocre franchise and just because you get a new owner doesn't mean that that's an improvement now for the Carolina Panthers what it was before was an owner who had a whole lot of gross me too stuff and sexually harassing and abusing employees in his workplace and yes it's an improvement because David Tappas to our knowledge Tappas David Tappas to our knowledge, is not engaging in such behavior of a toxic workplace with the Carolina Panthers. And three years in, the the worst crimes against football, or the worst things that he can be accused of as an NFL owner is being a terrible foot meddling football owner. But there are lots of terrible meddling football owners. That's why there's like eight teams in the NFL that will never be able to win anything. It's like Detroit, Chicago, Washington, 
the Jaguars, the Jets. Uh, you could even go to like the Dolphins. Um, it's just there's a handful of teams that'll just never be able to win anything. And you know the Panthers are moving towards that territory of what I like to call oh the Giants. The Giants are in that group, and they're just headed towards this tier that I like to call perpetual mediocrity. Uh, the the Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 21 years. You know, you're just headed towards that territory. And uh, I think uh, you're looking at a situation with the Panthers where it's like, okay, they got a new quarterback. We knew they were going to get this guy. It was all just a matter of figuring out the money. Baker, there was a $3.5 million gap between what the the, the Lions, I'm sorry, the, the Browns were willing to pay and the Panthers were willing to pay. And Baker just had to give that money back just so he could get out of Cleveland and yeah, it's interesting that Baker Mayfield got uh, basically tossed aside by the Browns after playing through injury, and it's the same reason why Kyler Murray should not play another single game for the Arizona Cardinals until he gets a new contract, because, you know, one injury, they'll toss you aside, and Baker Mayfield goes from being a fringe pro bowler who leads Cleveland to their first playoff victory in 20 years, the guy who wanted to be in Cleveland in 2018, gets tossed aside, but we can't even do the football storytelling part of it because he got tossed aside for a sexual predator who got rewarded with a $250 million contract and it only took about $2.5 million to pay out, uh, basically pay to make, to settle with victims and make the situation go away with money, with blood money from the Cleveland Browns, or in his case, it's like jizz money from the Cleveland Browns and it's all just... You can't even do the waxing football story about Baker Mayfield without touching on the real victims and real cases of Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's even hesitant to bring it up right then and talk about it. It's just there's nothing to do with that part of it. Baker Mayfield's not that interesting of a quarterback in terms of like the skill set that he brings to the table. The Panthers are have ruined Christian McCaffrey's career, and they they're gonna go five and eleven with Baker Mayfield or with Sam Darnold. I just like, but it's the news of the day. I'm just like, okay, glad glad it's over. You know, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy G were the two punchlines of like they were gonna go into training camp and just be in the literal definition of quarterback purgatory. You know how we've been making the quarterback purgatory jokes for years? That's as close to quarterback purgatory as you're ever going to find. Literally, Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield were going to be just paid to not play because the teams they were playing for didn't want to play them at the values they were at, and nobody wanted to trade for them at the values they were at, and so they were just going to be put on the bench or put on like the the go-away list. Not the go-away list of like you've done something wrong, but they're just like... No need to show up. Try and facilitate a trade. Just you're fine. At at ten million dollars someone wants you, but at twenty million dollars nobody wants you. Jimmy G. Baker Mayfield is damn close to quarterback purgatory as you are ever gonna find. Close as close as what I used to call the Sam Bradford line, but obviously Sam Bradford's aged out of the NFL since I was making that joke like six years ago now of like, if your quarterback's better than Sam Bradford, it's a franchise quarterback. If it's worse than Sam Bradford, you're looking for a new quarterback. I guess the line now is Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield, but I guess it's just the dollar values and the Panthers only are paying nine and a half million for Baker Mayfield, but that's not interesting. The Panthers are bad. 
Baker Mayfield playing for them is going to be the same thing as like when Sam Darnold went there. It's going to be interesting for like two weeks, and then we'll remember the Panthers are just terrible at football, and we'll just stop caring about it. But the Panthers might win seven games because seven games last year was good enough for the Falcons to only get like the eight pick in the draft, but also seven wins was like the the Ravens with the 14 pick because like all the NFL teams are between seven and eight wins. It's just, it's just whatever. So in my mind, my internal monologue, I was like, damn, I guess, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna have to talk about Baker Mayfield. If we're going to talk about the, the Panthers, we can always go back to the point of back in 2019, at December of 2019, we did a, uh, a one hour long podcast piece about rebuilding the Carolina Panthers and how the Panthers were at a perfect crossroad to uh, coming off of McCaffrey's all-pro season, trade him for multiple first-round picks, value was never going to be higher, no reason to give him a second contract, your team was nowhere close to building a winner around him, you trade McCaffrey, cut Cam Newton, which they cut Cam Newton anyways, and play Will Greer at quarterback, tank, get Trevor Lawrence, if you can't get Trevor Lawrence, you get Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. Get any young quarterback, build the whole thing back up. I thought Robert Sala was going to be their coach, and in hindsight, it was probably better for them to hire Robert Sala than it was to hire Matt Rule. I have no idea if Robert Sala is a good coach, but I know Matt Rule's going to get fired within 10 games this year, which in the NFL, we found out like doesn't make Matt Rule a bad coach. It just means Matt Rule's not one of the seven coaches that you can't possibly get rid of I'm not even sure Robert Sala is that guy I just the verdict isn't out on Sala yet and I already know that Matt Rule is a failure as Carolina Panthers coach so like you could have taken my advice probably would have worked out maybe not to make you Super Bowl good but you'd be in a better place today than you were than you are right now if you had just traded McCaffrey and not signed Teddy Bridgewater with the $20 million you saved by cutting Cam Newton and not gone 5-11 and in 2020 and not gone 5-12 and last year, which denied you from getting any of the top prospects in the draft because the Panthers are in what I like to call the Sacramento Kings purgatory of you are the worst team in the NFL that is actively trying to win. Denver Broncos were there for a while, but then the Denver Broncos got lucky because Russell Wilson wanted to play for their organization. Carolina is the worst team in the NFL that is not actively tanking, and they're perpetually mediocre now. They have not made the playoffs since their Super Bowl. Well, they did make it one time. They haven't won a playoff game since their Super Bowl season of 2015. They made it, I think it was 2017, I want to say. It was either 2016 or 2017. They made the wild card one time and lost to the Saints. It was right before the Saints lost the Minneapolis Miracle, so that would have been 2017. Yeah. 2017 they made a wild card game it's not like something to hang your hat on is making a meaningless wild card game where you got smoked by the new orleans saints um carolina been bad and carolina has absolutely wasted christian mccaffrey's career like like christian mccaffrey's entire career has has just been wasted like think of an example of that to any other sport like it's it's not Mike Trout because Christian McCaffrey's not that caliber player, but think like baseball is a good example because of the the individualism of the sport. And Christian McCaffrey, the running back, is the most individual of the positions that you can find in the NFL, 
which is part of why they they have lower value in the fact that like there's a number of carries before the body starts to break down but I'm just thinking of a baseball player who's like got sent to a bad team and their entire career has been just you know just wasted like just put up empty stats collected money and that was it I'm trying to think, I mean, Mike Trout's the first example that comes to mind, but it feels so shallow because you could say like anyone is the Mike Trout of their sport, but I'm thinking like an even poorer organization than Mike Trout. Like maybe Mike Trout is the the perfect, because like most baseball players, they end up leaving the organizations that they were on. The, the example I could think of is like Giancarlo Stanton with the Marlins. Like that's what Christian McCaffrey feels like, like best at your position, not best in the sport, but like best at your position, doing things that are so unique on the football field that like all 10 of the teams that are always consistently good would want that on their team and just wasted Christian McCaffrey's career. Just, just wasted it. Like Christian McCaffrey's been in the league five years and he's had great seasons and it just, he has, there's no evidence I can point to that Christian McCaffrey has added any value to the Carolina Panthers. Like, he's, he's added financial value. I can't find any evidence that Christian McCaffrey has actually impacted the Carolina Panthers at all since he's been drafted. He was drafted in 2017, so he was drafted this rookie year. They made the playoffs. Okay, so the, his rookie year was that year that they won 10 games. The year after that was 2018. I forgot what the, the Panthers did that year. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Christian McCaffrey, I just looking up his Wikipedia page, Christian McCaffrey was the first white running back to rush for over a thousand yards since Peyton Hillis in 2010, which got Peyton Hillis on the Madden cover and the only the second since Craig James in 1985. And that, that Craig James parlayed that into being like the lead college football broadcaster on ESPN for like 10 years. I know most people probably don't know who Craig James is, but that's just just something interesting. This is just my way of trying to talk about the, this in any way that matters. Like the Carolina Panthers, whatever they finished in 2015 or 20, 2018, let's see, 2018 Panthers were seven and nine. So you're looking at seven and nine, five and 11, the year that Christian, seven and nine and five and 11, the two years that Christian McCaffrey finished all pro in the NFL. Seven and nine, five and eleven, two completely missed all of twenty twenty except for three games, missed almost all of twenty twenty one. Just it's it's just over. Christian McCaffrey played ten total games the last two years. They gave him a giant contract. His body's broken down. Like just wasted one of the best running backs that has gone through the NFL. Like not a single meaningful football game was played. For the Carolina Panthers and and Christian McCaffrey. The man went for like two, two, 2,400 yards of offense in a season. And it just, it's just nothing left. This is going to sound kind of like when Juju and I talk about the Angels in a little bit. But it's the only way I can make this Baker Mayfield trade matter. And the only reason I'm even acknowledging the Baker Mayfield trade is because it's like the plan C option for an A block of a Thursday podcast in the middle of July. Okay, cool. Baker Mayfield got traded. It. I. I know it's bitter. I know it's resentment. I just. I just don't care. Just the Carolina Panthers are irrelevant. 
the Browns tossed aside Baker Mayfield because, or the Cleveland frowns, as I'm trying to call them, the frowns tossed aside Baker Mayfield because they wanted to sign a sexual predator for a guaranteed $252 million contract. And we, we hashed that out already. It's hard to talk about the Baker situation without acknowledging all of the, the victims in the Deshaun Watson case. There's nothing deeper to talk about in that storyline without it being gross. And to in the in the context of what we're trying to do here, which is evaluate how does this make the Carolina Panthers better? It it doesn't. <laughs> the Carolina Panthers are a better team because Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. It's not enough to actually change any impact on the on the Carolina Panthers season. It's not going to change a single outcome on the Panthers season. They might win five games. They might win six games. It's all the same. They're going to pick one pick higher in the draft or one pick lower in the draft. And it's the Carolina Panthers. So, you know, regardless of what draft pick they have, they are going to mess it up real bad. So, yeah, just there's 20 minutes. Did we have to? Yeah, I guess we had to. Yes. I know it's my podcast and I know I can find other topics. It's just it's a middle of July transactional move. It was the third option of things to talk about. And so I just get to bemoan Baker Mayfield and the goddamn Carolina Panthers who are like I we beef with the Bears we beef with the Giants but we do it because you know you're going to end up being right in the long run Panthers fans don't have the expectation Panthers fans are like we're a minor league football team except for those two times that we weren't but other than that we're basically a minor league football team we're the Sacramento Kings we're the Anaheim Angels. We're the Marlins. We are a minor league football team, and we got Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold for our shitty five and eleven, or five and twelve, or six and eleven, or whatever they're going to end up being. Their shitty football team that has uh, won four total football games after October eighth in the last, I think it's either October eighth or October eleventh. In the last three seasons, the Carolina Panthers are four and twenty-nine in football games after October 11th. Like, they start the season 2-1 and one or 3-0 and oh and then just waltz their way to a shitty finish. The Panthers have won four football games after October 11th. The last, after week four, basically. After week four or week five of the season, the Panthers have won four football games the last three seasons. It's absolutely atrocious. DJ, and they've got a bunch of money, NFL revenue shares. So DJ Moore is all of a sudden going to be a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Why? Who the fuck else are you going to give the money to? Like, who who else is going to get the money? I know I'm just bitter punching at the Panthers. I'm punching at the Panthers the way I punch at the New York Giants. Because, like, I genuinely don't give a bleep about... I don't know why I said bleep. I already said fuck. I genuinely don't give a fuck about Baker Mayfield going to the Carolina Panthers. And it's leading every show everywhere because football is king. Football is king. Got to talk about football. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Baker, We knew for four months Baker Mayfield was going to end up on the Panthers. It was a waste of four months. It really does not matter at all. We're just so thirsty for football talk that I'm... I'm lashing out because I'm just exhausted of that whole saga. I'm exhausted with Deshaun Watson. I'm exhausted with the Baker Mayfield saga. It's a really interesting 30 for 30. I can't wait until someone makes the 30 for 30 on Baker Mayfield. I don't know much about Baker Mayfield. I don't know if Baker Mayfield is a really charming guy or an asshole. He kind of treads the line of white quarterback between asshole and charming. Like, 
I, Baker Mayfield's the guy who ran away from the cops. He's the guy who shotguns beers. He's the guy who says bro a lot. He's the, if you ain't with us, you're against us. Nice guys finish last. He's also the guy who was gonna kneel for the anthem after when they were talking about uh, George Floyd, uh, George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and everyone protesting the anthem during the season. And he said, of course I'm going to kneel. And then he backed off on it and he's the rah-rah guy I just I don't know what to make of Baker Mayfield as a quarterback he's a quarterback purgatory he was in quarterback purgatory last year the year before that I thought he was a tier three quarterback he's a quarterback purgatory guy Brown's got a better option so they moved off of him the Panthers are a terrible team so they're going to be terrible with Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield's going to look worse than he would be in another situation because the Carolina Panthers won't be able to do anything for him I know DJ Moore is a pretty good wide receiver, but like it's it's not going to do anything for Carolina. Carolina's not a good football. Ben McAdoo is his offensive coordinator. I made it 25 minutes without talking about Ben McAdoo. Like I'm just lashing out at the Panthers because the Panthers are just so terrible at football, and nobody should care about this. Honest to God, nobody should care about this, but... I'm just, I I looked around and I'm like, I got Baker Mayfield talking. I thought it was only going to be five minutes and I just started rambling about the Panthers, how they wasted Christian McCaffrey's career, and how we really want to sell ourselves that this matters. And it does not matter at all. It does not matter at all that Baker Mayfield got traded to the Carolina Panthers. Even the Panthers believe that. They're only paying him $9 million next year. They're paying him a high... They're paying him what the Raiders were paying Marcus Mariota. Like, he's he's a high-end backup. It's a high-end backup quarterback that we spent four months caring about because his name is Baker Mayfield and he used to be a number one pick in the NFL draft. And he shouldn't have been the number one pick in the NFL draft. I know I'm just doing sports radio segment now, but... Yeah, that's just I. No one should care about this at all. I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit pause and end this. It's been a long Baker Mayfield rant. Nobody should care about this. All right, so. I want to talk about college football and the realignment in college football because I find this all to be incredibly, incredibly interesting. And one of the things that I think about with college football, similar to talking about the Brooklyn Nets, which we could talk about the Brooklyn Nets every day and follow the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant situation, but they're probably not going to be resolved. I said two weeks when this first began, that was on June 30th, so we are day 6 of 14. I think it'll take 8 more days before you have a uh, a Kevin Durant resolution, perhaps. Then we can start talking about it seriously, and we'll invite Adam Armbrecht back on, and all sorts of stuff like that. But what I wanted to talk about with college football is in the same vein as that, is we could talk about the daily news every single day and the rumors of college football, because... USC and UCLA leave to go to the Big Ten, and now everyone's looking at conference talking. Everyone's digging into, what's Arizona State going to do? What's Arizona going to do? What's Notre Dame going to do? Are any of the ACC schools going to make a move? Is is the Big 12 going to take over the Pac-12 and all kinds of stuff? And like We could do the rumor watching and following, but with a daily podcast, it the podcast becomes obsolete after a day. 
And one of the things that I decided years ago is I wanted to try and make these podcasts as evergreen as possible. Hence why I just ranted for 25 minutes about why the Carolina Panthers are terrible and why the Baker Mayfield trade doesn't matter. That that will last for months and months and months when talking about the Browns and the Panthers. It was a classic sports radio. This is why this doesn't matter. Well, it's an anti-sports radio. Sports radio will try and convince you that everything matters, and I'm trying to convince you nothing matters. It's all sports, and especially what doesn't matter is Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers. But in this one, we could talk about the the news of an ACC Pac-12 alliance and a conference championship in Vegas. And we could talk about that, but if Arizona and Arizona State decide to jump ship and go to the Big 12, and then Oregon and Washington decide to go to the Big 10, then you're left with nothing there for the Pac-12 to compete with. And there's a whole fascinating story that I learned about, about how Larry Scott, who used to be the commissioner of the Pac-12, negotiated a terrible TV deal with ESPN, and ultimately it's what got him fired as president or commissioner of the Pac-12, and now that it looks like the Pac-12 is dissolving, it looks like you're going to have this guy be pointed to as like, this is the end of the Pac-12 as we effectively knew it. Not the fact that like college football became the king of college athletics and college football doesn't matter in the West Coast the same way, and there's only two West Coast college football programs that matter. It's, it's USC and it's Oregon. Everything else west of Oklahoma is is like what you would think of as the new Big 12 or a group of five or what the Pac-12 is about to become, which is like six Mountain West schools and Stanford and Cal and Oregon or Oregon State and Washington State and whatever's left of the Pac-12 that's going to be like the Pac-Mountain West 12 or the Pac-Mountain West 10 or whatever it's going to be. And so we could talk about that part of it, but again, by tomorrow, that could be totally irrelevant. So what I wanted to talk about is the college, the changing landscape of college football based on the macro level points that we started talking about on Friday and then new information around the ACC. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about with the ACC is the ACC's partners have a television contract that was signed for 20 years back in 2014 that helped establish the ACC network on ESPN. That 20-year contract has aged incredibly poorly for the Atlantic Coast Conference because they are making roughly about $18 million per year. The big uh, each member conference makes each member school, sorry, each member school makes about $18 million per year on their television contract with ESPN. In the Big Ten, that number is roughly about 31 million. And with the new SEC deal, it's basically, uh, I think it was like 300 million plus. It was 300 million just for the SEC on CBS game. And so if you took that and then you add in the extra television deal, which gets it close to like 800,000, and you divide it between the member schools, it's somewhere between 40 and 50 million dollars per school for the SEC television contract. So the ACC is doing like half the number of the Big Ten and like close to 40% of what the 
SEC television contract is worth. The SEC numbers are, are hard to figure out. It's why no one has an exact number on what the SEC member schools make. And unless they're public institutions in which they have to release their um, audits for the last year, but the new television contract hasn't gone into effect yet with um, what would be ESPN exclusively getting the, the CBS, you know, what we think of as the 1230 CBS game. It's now going to ESPN. So the SEC contract is all about to change. And What's interesting about that for the ACC is, okay, the ACC has locked into a television contract that is subpar to the Big Ten and the SEC, and if they're going to continue existing, it's going to be as a third school, out or a third conference outside of this new two-mega-conference thing that everyone feels like we're headed towards, because as we said on Friday, 25 of the 30 largest college football athletic budgets so this doesn't include donor money given in nil deals and all that just money made by the athletic departments of these schools revenue generated by the athletic departments 25 of the 30 highest revenue generating schools in college sports and predominantly college football 80 percent college football 15 percent college basketball five percent everything else the 20, 25 of the 30 highest revenue generating schools are in either the SEC or the Big Ten. And the only five that are not left is Florida State, which according to USA Today, this was back in like 2020 that this came out. So, you know, new data might change that. But in 2020, Florida State was 12. And Florida State's kind of like on the back burner right now because Florida State's paying like four different coaches $10 million buyouts or $20 million buyouts. So Florida State has way less money than they did in the past because they've spent all of their athletic budget paying out football coaches because that's how stupid college sports can be sometimes. Florida State's like 12, Clemson's like 18, Louisville's in the high 20s. Um, Oregon's in the high 20s, and um, the University of Miami is around 30. So Clemson, Louisville, Florida State, Oregon, and Miami are the only ones left. The other wild card in this mix is Notre Dame, because Notre Dame is independent in football. But in, Notre Dame sacrifices money to remain independent, Notre Dame, um, with their NBC deal, they make, with just the six home games on NBC, they make about $15 million per year. So they also get, you know, they, they license out their other six games to ESPN or whatever. So they make, you know, probably like $20 million, I'm guessing, just based on like playing Navy or playing, I don't know, USC or Stanford on ESPN they probably make about $20 million, $25 million a year at Notre Dame. If they join the Big Ten, they would make $31 million a year, plus ex- extra benefits and whatever else. Like They're talking about like it's a over the next 10 years, an $80 million increase to the athletic budget of the Notre Dame program. And basically, Notre Dame's looking at that like they actively sacrifice money every year to remain an independent and Notre Dame could change that in the grow, in the changing landscape of college football, especially if there's pressure to join the Big Ten because it's either join the two mega conferences or be left out. Maybe Notre Dame is, changes the math there. Notre Dame should be a top 30 athletic budget, but they're not because they actively sacrifice making money in order to remain independent in the prestige of what Notre Dame 
um, puts as like, we want to remain independent, et cetera, et cetera. They actively sacrifice money. So like Notre Dame's a weird wild card, but basically think of it as the only ones left are number 12, Florida state. If this is a cold calculated numbers game, 12th highest revenue, revenue generating school, Florida state, like 18 is Clemson 20 or 21 is LS is Louisville. Um, Oregon's like 24, 25 and Miami's 30. It's something like that. It's again, this was from 2020 data with USA today, but it's a rough ballpark of where things stand. So you have five schools left who aren't in those major power conferences. And if those conferences swipe up those schools, I think that effectively creates a monopoly on the college football landscape between those two conferences because everyone else is not as revenue generating and there's less of an incentive for their television partners to sign them to gigantic television contracts relative to the Big Ten and the SEC because all of the biggest and best revenue generating programs are now all in the same conference or at least two conferences and they can all negotiate much larger television contracts than their adversaries and it will just widen the wealth gap and that's ultimately why everyone's on the get on the ship or get lost losers mentality right now so what's interesting about this from the acc well the acc might have to pay a hundred million dollars member schools might have a an opt-out clause where if they break the television contract with espn they lose a hundred million dollars and they have to pay that to the acc which when you have these gigantic athletic budgets it's possible to do that it just might set your program back a little bit so, for example, the University of Texas makes $250 million per year. And to break their contract with the Big 12, it was something like a $30 million opt-out that you have to pay. Well, you're going to make that back in one year by joining the SEC. So it's not that big of a problem. If you're Miami and you're going from $15 million a year on just television contract, like let's assume that all extra benefits of joining the SEC are the same as the ACC. Like maybe it's not exactly that math equally, but if you factor it all together, let's just, it's not exactly correct, but on the simplest terms, let's just say, argue pure economics of television contract increases. So Miami's going to increase roughly $30 million a year, 25 to $30 million a year from their television contract increase. They're also going to have to pay out $100 million to the ACC to break their television contract with ESPN and with the ACC network. That's a difficult sell. It's difficult because it's going to take years to make that money back. And maybe you could argue there's other benefits so that you increase your budget or you go to your donors and be like, hey, we don't want to be left behind. We need this number of thousands of dollars. We need this many millions of dollars to buy out our ACC contract. And, that, and instead of money going to the players, you take money and give it to the ACC to break your television contract. All of those are ways that they can move around the books and possibly get out of the contract, or they can go to the ACC and negotiate terms of exit. So they could be like, we'll do this, this, and this if it's only $60 million to pay the buyout or whatever it is. It's really, really complicated, and it might set the programs who defect back many, many years. There's not a guarantee that it'll set them back. It's just the numbers suggest that these programs are going to be set back financially by leaving the ACC in a way that feels like when Florida State has to pay 
four different coaches a ton of buyouts because that's the interesting point for florida state florida state simply does not have the money right now like there there is a cold calculation you can find that we talked about this last year when we did our oral history of florida state and if you want to listen to that you can either scroll down to september in our podcast feed and find the oral history of florida state or with the cksaml productions link that's in this episode there's a separate podcast feed that is the oral histories of sports. And I think I put the Florida state one in there. So if you want to hear the full picture of Florida state, check that out. Florida state's paying like 10 million in buyout to, uh, it wasn't Jimbo. It was someone mixed in. So basically Willie Taggart's getting like $20 million. There's a weird thing where they're paying $7 million to Jimbo's assistants. And that's almost, they're almost done with that one. But basically in terms of the condition, they bought that one out and they were almost going to buy out the um, the coach who's coaching right now at Florida State, Mike. I forgot what his name was, but um, he used to coach at Memphis. They they lost to Jacksonville State earlier in the year. Um, it's Mike Mike Norvell. That's what his name is. But there were talks after they lost to Jacksonville State that they would fire Mike Norvell and hire someone else. And it was just like they can't do that because. They're paying $20 million in buyout to Willie Taggart. They're paying another $7 million to either Jimbo or Jimbo's assistants in some weird point. And they were going to fire Mike Norvell and pay another $20 million buyout. And then they were going to have to hire whoever the next coach was for millions and millions of dollars. That's $50 million right there that just isn't in your athletic budget because Florida State's athletic budget is only like $130 million. And I know $130 million is a lot of money, but when you're paying $50 million to former employees, all of a sudden you have an $80 million athletic budget, which is basically like the equivalent of like Virginia. <laughs> or is basically like the equivalent of like like one of the Oregon State Oregon State's athletic budget is like 80 million like that competitive advantage you have by having tons of money it dissipates when you make so many mistakes this is the same mistake Texas is making by the way Texas has the money to bail themselves out of it but Texas has to pay Charlie Strong's buyout they have to pay the buyout for um who's the oh Tom Herman they have to pay Charlie Strong's buyout. They have to pay Tom Herman's buyout. They have to pay Herman's staff. They have to pay Charlie some of Charlie Strong's staff. That one's almost done now for Texas, but like they stretch out these deals like eight years so that they don't have to pay twenty million all at once. And it's like when, how the Lakers were still paying Luol Deng's contract until this year. They just like stretch it out to make the financial burdens a little bit less. So like it. Coaches that you fired eight years ago are still getting buyouts from the schools that they coached at because the programs want to stretch out the buyouts in order to uh, not be immediately damaging financially. And so, and also boosters get involved and pay, but basically that's the idea. It's like Florida State loses their competitive advantage because they have to pay so much in buyouts. Texas loses a little bit of their competitive advantage because they have to pay so much in buyouts. That's why when they're talking about like, let's fire Sark and hire another big coach. I'm like, with what money in your budget? Like you've, you have $240 million and presumably you're not just sitting on it like hens. Like you're presumably putting it back into the program unless like all of your CEOs are taking gigantic pay raises, like million dollars for GMs and, or unless your coaches and your ADs and your presidents of the school are getting increased like revenues and you're just pocketing the money, 
like if they're getting higher salaries, okay, are they going to give back those higher salaries in order to like hire a new football coach? Probably not. So that money is now part of the, like you budget everything that you make usually. So if you now have an extra 10 million, where's it going to come from? One way you can do it, increase your television contract, which brings it to the ACC again. Because the ACC is looking around like it's a murder mystery right now. I was listening to the, the shutdown full cast, which they're doing like the best content that exists in the podcast space. Like it's amazing how good the shutdown full cast is on college football. But also it's it's like the internet meets college football. It's so good. And they were talking about how the ACC is like in a, uh, a heist movie right now. And everyone's just waiting for someone to double cross. And in my mind, I connect the dots. I'm like, they're not in a heist movie right now. They are in a murder mystery. You know, like those murder mysteries where someone gets killed at a dinner party and everyone has to figure out who done it. Or like that movie Murder on the Nile. I think, I, I didn't see it, but I that seems like the plot of that movie. It's like someone gets murdered on a ship and they have to figure out who the murderer is. But no one can leave the ship because it's a ship. And... I was thinking about that within the context of the ACC is like someone is about to murder the conference. Someone, the first person to defect opens the floodgates, kind of like what happened in the Big 12 and what's happening with the Pac-12. First person to defect from the ACC changes all the math. First time one person goes to the conference and negotiates a buyout, floodgates open. Because the only way that a third-tier conference is going to continue to exist, whether it be with Clemson and Louisville and Florida State and Miami and Oregon and the Pac-12 ACC Alliance and Washington, who's like, if you stretch it out to top 40, Washington starts to get included in there and Stanford. If you stretch it out, but as soon as one person defects for the, pe- the Big 12 or the SEC, as soon as one person defects, floodgates open. Because it's the classic prisoner's dilemma we talked about with like the end of the Chargers-Raiders game last year. If you trust that the other person's going to do right by you, stable system. Prisoner's dilemma basically is two prisoners who they go to them and say, if you confess, then you can go out free. But if both of you confess, then you both get long sentences. You both get 20 years. If one of you confesses and the other one doesn't, you get to go free. Or sorry, if someone snitches, if one person snitches and the other person doesn't, you get to go free and the other person goes to jail for 30 years. If you both snitch, you both go to jail 20 years. If same vice versa, if neither of you snitch, then then you both get to go free. Basically, you both get to go free, but if you both snitch, you both get 20 years. If one snitches and the other doesn't, the person who snitched goes free, the other person gets 30 years. It's kind of that game theory of you don't know what the other person's going to do, but it's the prisoner's dilemma. And that's where the ACC is right now, is a prisoner's dilemma. As soon as Miami pays the 70 to $100 million buyout and jumps to the SEC, All of a sudden, Clemson and Florida State and everyone's shooting at each other and trying to jump on the SEC ship. So it's a murder mystery right now where they're trying to figure out who done it. Who's the person who's going to jump ship? Who's the person who's going to jump? 
who's the person who's gonna leave the, the ACC? And everyone instinctively thinks it's Miami. Like, first, first person, usually not the person, but everyone just assumes it's Miami. And Clemson's over there, like, accusing Miami as a way to, like, draw interest away from themselves. But then Florida State's just sitting quietly in the corner because, like, Florida State's technically the richest. And if you're talking about a $100 million buyout, Florida State's probably the one that can afford it the most. But they're just kind of, they, they haven't been good at football in a while. Clemson and Miami are catching all the headlines. They're just kind of sitting there whistling in the corner. Or not whistling, they're just sitting there quietly. Quietly plotting, quietly scheming, not trying to draw attention to themselves. If they are the murderer, then no one will have seen it coming. And that you know, Louisville's hanging over there like, well, we are basketball school, and uh, ACC does give us that benefit. Louisville doesn't know what to do. Clemson and Miami are accusing each other, and then like everyone's gonna like right under their nose. It was Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's going to go to the Big Ten, and no one's going to see it coming, and that's going to be the murder mystery. So the ACC murder mystery is kind of where everyone stands right now because no one wants to pay the $100 million buyout for the ACC right now. And so it's going to be a little bit of a game of chicken, similar to the Kyrie Irving-Kevin Durant situation. Details could change tomorrow. Details could change the next day. Miami and Clemson could be actively accusing each other of blowing up the ACC when they could also both be negotiating buyouts with the ACC right now. We don't know the information and following the day-to-day is going to be a headache because one day it's an ACC Pac-12 alliance and the next day Arizona State's in the ACC. The next day uh, Washington's going to the Big Ten. And everyone's just fending for themselves in the massive realignment of college football that's going to end with two power conferences and maybe a smaller conference that's able to negotiate a television deal that keeps them relevant in the grand scheme of college football. Who knows? Already 25 of the 30 largest revenue generating schools are in the SEC and Big Ten. So anything we're fighting for after that is just a little bit of gravy to be like, will there be an alternative system? Will they be allowed to exist? Will they just continue fighting along until inevitably the SEC and Big Ten start kicking out schools because they can get larger revenue from, you know, by kicking out Kansas or kicking out Arkansas or kicking out Kentucky? Sorry, Blake Jude, I love you, but kick out Kentucky or kick out Vanderbilt or kick out the people who aren't like putting in their weight. The Big Ten kick out Northwestern, kick out Nebraska. You know, like when it gets to that point, is there still a place for these smaller level? <laughs> I know it's funny, like the group of eight or the group of three conferences, will there be a space left for it in this weird winding turnstile of college football becoming professional and having basically 40 teams that act like a minor league NFL? It'll be interesting to see where this place happens and whether the, the ACC and the Pac-12 and company can continue to exist long enough to make it worthwhile for anyone who is still left over after the game of picking people apart from the Big Ten and the, uh, the SEC. Because like we said before, there are essentially six programs left. Do they all form together and make a, uh, a, a league, a third league? to not necessarily rival the Big Tw- the Big 10 and the SEC but to at least be relatively competitive or do they take their losses accept the 100 million dollar buyouts take out a loan 
and try and rebuild their programs, who knows? We'll see what happens. The best we can do is just lay out the details and make fun analogies about murder mysteries. So next up here on the show, we're going to have our friend Juju Talk Sports join us to discuss the Anaheim Angels and what I like to call the Ponzi scheme that is the American League Central in Major League Baseball or Pyramid Scheme or whatever you want to call it. It's just a way to funnel money to these baseball teams that have all been absolutely irrelevant for six years now. Because like in 2012, 2014, 2015, 2016, the Tigers, the Guardians, the Royals, they all made the World Series, all very relevant teams. And since then, it has been 2017, Cleveland, only team that made it from that division, lost in the, lost in the, D, in the division series. 2018, Cleveland, lost in the division series. 2019, Minnesota, lost in the division series. Got swept by the Yankees, by the way. 2020, Minnesota, the White Sox, and Cleveland all made it to the playoffs, and they all lost in that extended wild card in 2020. All of them did not make it to the division series, even though three teams made it to the playoffs. And then last year, White Sox got swept out. Not swept out. They got just destroyed by the Houston Astros. They did win one game, but they got destroyed by the Astros. And the American League Central will obligatorily put one team in this year. They'll be the three seed in the in the American League, and they'll lose to whoever the six seed is, Tampa Bay. They'll lose to Tampa Bay in the wild card because the American League Central is a Ponzi scheme. They make millions of dollars a year and don't contribute anything. And they will all one team will be better than all the rest and will get an obligatory third seed in the American League playoffs. So we'll talk about the Ponzi scheme that is the American League Central or the pyramid scheme of the American League Central and laugh at the Anaheim Angels for ruining Mike Trout and Shohei Otani's career, which is one of the most passionate things I've ever heard Juju on talking about sports. One of the most passionate points he's ever had is talking about the Anaheim Angels and their dysfunction. So we'll talk about that here on the Take It Easy podcast. Call it a uh, slump buster takeover for the first time in a little while. It's been a little while since we've had one of these, but it's just the end segment that I really wanted to share from a couple weeks ago. Also note that in the time after uh, Juju says that Cleveland has a shot of winning the American League Central, the uh, Guardians, I believe, have gone like 2-7 and seven since we recorded this. So uh, take that with a uh, grain of salt. The National League, there's a lot of chaos and crazy stuff, and it's been fun. In the American League... ALCS is going to be Astros and Yankees. We can we can skip everything else. Just get right to the, the gist of it. One's going to be the one seed. One's going to be the two seed. Whatever works out. It's going to be Astros, Yankees, and the ALCS. We can just pencil that in. We're good. Some crappy team's going to be the three seed in the, the AL Central. Someone's going to win the AL Central. They're going to be the three seed. They won't matter at all. They'll lose to one of those AL East teams in the now wildcard game. Because in case you, you may have forgotten from the last time we talked about baseball during the lockout, there are six playoff teams now, which means that if you're the three seed which is basically the nl central and al central you have to play in the first round now which is good because we get them out of the playoffs faster from those two crappy divisions actually are you sure are you sure kyle you have underrated a ohio team just in this past calendar year are you sure the cleveland guardians aren't going to be this year cincinnati Bengals for you uh 
fairly confident. Fairly confident. Although, in fairness, Minnesota is winning the division right now. So I, I shouldn't count out Minnesota. They've been pretty good tie. this year. It is actually officially a tie as the Guardians have went 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, good on Cleveland. Uh, anyways, so one of them is going to be the three seed. It won't matter. It's going to be Astros-Yankees. The Yankees are totally overwhelming. I, I'm secondhand sourcing this, so I don't have it in front of me. Someone said that the Yankees pitching staff has a lower whip as a whole than Mariano Rivera during a Yankees World Series championship season had a whip. It, it's absolutely insane how good that pitching staff is for the Yankees this year. Yeah, Garrett Cole was damn near unhittable the other start, his last start. He he was looking phenomenal. He was finally looking like the Garrett Cole that got paid over $30 million a year to go pitch for the New York Yankees. And I, I guess the next question for the Yankees, obviously, and Garrett Cole is going to mostly come down to how does he pitch in the big-time moments, the big-time games, because that's where he's been the most disappointing for them since signing that contract. It's funny. We also have in the National League, you mentioned the National League is a little bit more open, but a New York team dominating there, uh, Steve Cohen, he, he did elevate the Mets to at least through June 22nd of 2022. They are the first-place team in the NL East. Watch out for the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves, uh, I believe they won 16 of their last 19 games, something insane like that. They've been red hot. What is it about this Atlanta team that it just seems like, you know, they they, they flip the switch at this point of the year? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I, I also think Atlanta will overtake the Mets at some point. I could be wrong about that. It just it feels like... The Mets. <laughs> It's not pessimism for the Mets because the Mets are going to make the playoffs. Like, it's almost a guarantee that the Mets are going to make the playoffs this year. So that's that's a step up for New York, especially because they spent so much money last year and it all kind of like imploded on them in August. So they're going to legit they're not going to be the sixth seed either. They're going to make the playoffs either probably as the, the five seed, if, the, if that's the case, because I think the, the Padres are probably going to be the four seed behind the Dodgers. I, I could be wrong about that. Padres have let me down before. I, it just feels like it's going to be four. Well, it's the, the, the National League playoff feels like it's going to be Dodgers, Padres, Mets, Braves, one of the NL Central teams, and then a sixth wild card that will probably beat the NL Central team. Who's <laughs> saying? Watch team. out! You know, if you're starting your footsteps, that seems to be the San Francisco Giants, which are just three and a half games behind the Padres currently in the NL West. Actually, three and a half games behind the Dodgers as well as it currently constructs today. As again, you have an NL West team, the third place team in that division is nine games over 500. So it, it is so, just, aside from the Diamondbacks and Rockies, the NL West just continues to be the division of hell. Yeah. The, so what's interesting about the National League this year is that like seven teams are actively tanking. So there's only eight teams that actually have a chance of making the playoffs this year. I feel confident Philadelphia is not going to get in the playoffs, but I could be wrong. Philadelphia is making yeah. a little charge. Back. I would say the difference in the NL West is that the Diamondbacks and Rockies aren't as much of pushovers as they were last year. I think the Dodgers and Giants respectively had like 800 winning percentages against both teams and were able to pick them apart. Now that has kind of changed a little bit because they earlier in the year they were at least competing strong. They've fallen off since, obviously, Diamondbacks six games under 500, the Rockies eight games under 500. Uh, so they are not nearly at the ilk they were in April, but... They, they are one of those teams that just can annoyingly steal a victory from you. And certainly as a Padres fan, you know all about the, kind of like those annoying losses throughout the season. That it's like, really? 
Really? We, we lost yeah. the Reds? The Giants have had a few of those, though. In fairness, they, it's just so weird to look at an NL All-Star ballot and not see Buster Posey just sharpied into the catcher position. Uh, oh, that, but instead it's Yadier Molina, right? Yadier Molina is the guy no, who's always penciled it, it's, it's in the catcher. It's Contreras this year. Oh, you're at okay. Yeah. No, no, no. It was. It was I'm saying. Like a flip I'm flop. saying it's it either Yachty, Posey or Molina. Yachty yeah. Buster, Yachty Buster. That's pretty much how the NL ballot has been for the last ten years at catcher. Now you got Contreras who's leading it. Yeah, flipping. We're going to just flip it back and forth on this conversation. I mean, the AL and the Yankees are so good. It just I've, I've I've fallen in love with this team so many times over the last couple of years and put a lot of faith in them over the last couple of years. I'm not a Yankees fan, obviously, but. You know, I still have some loyalties to this, some uh, loyalties from my dad and my grandpa who were Yankees fans and were always bitch about uh, Brett Gardner, you know, and that's not Yankee baseball. He doesn't hit any home runs, you know, or uh, Derek Jeter is not hitting enough home runs. Uh, yeah, my grandpa actually once was, get me Nomar Garcia Parra instead of Derek Jeter. That, that's that's my grandpa there. Yeah, that, did, that did not age well. That yeah, did not that's age one of those well old takes exposed. I got to put him on blast on, a little bit on that of the old man, though. I just want to point out another story from the AL. Just tuning into it, even from a casual perspective, it was hard to miss the Angels' extended losing streak. And a funny headline there that Joe Madden literally got his head shaved into a mohawk only to get fired that same day. <laughs> like, it's so great. It's by the way, Mike Trout. I mean, we, we talked about Cleveland and Jose Ramirez has like an over a thousand OPS this year. Mike Trout's probably going to win MVP again in the in the American League. I, I called him old man last year because I saw he turned thirty and he turns thirty one in like a week, and I'm like, oh my god, Mike Trout's old guy you, now. I told you to pump the brakes on burying Mike Trout because. He just had one year where he just couldn't stay healthy. A lot of players have had that one year where they just couldn't stay healthy. It didn't mean he was done. I mean, he's still good. He's going to win MVP. That's so crazy. He had like a couple-week stretch there, and that was certainly (laughs) during the Angels' losing streak where it did seem like, okay, he's starting to fall off a little bit. But now in that you look at that Mariners series where he had like four or five home runs, Mike Trout's back. Mike Trout is just damn good at baseball. Talk about the best. Mike Trout is having generation. his. Mike Trout's having the third best season of his career, and he's won three MVPs. It's incredible how good at baseball Mike Trout is. And Mike Trout already has a, a four more this year. Not a single playoff victory. Angels, I hate you so much. I, I really do. I, I really do. I, I really hate the Los Angeles Angels so damn much because I have seen Mike Trout play baseball throughout his entire career. And it's been phenomenal. He's been great. He's been fun to watch. The homers, the stills, playing gold glove center field. Five-tool player. The first genuine five-tool player that I've got to see start to finish. Because Barry Bonds was a five-tool player, but I didn't get to see, like, prime Bonds. I got to see him when he wasn't much of a fielder. Um, You know, he didn't have the base stealing speed that he once had. No, Mike Trout, I've got to see the entire of his career, and that entire career he's been a five-tool player. And that has resulted in zero playoff victories because of the incompetence of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Whether it be a Josh Hamilton deal, whether it be a C.J. Wilson deal, uh, whether it be Noah Syndergaard this year, they, they just don't know how to put together a pitching staff to save their life. Their best pitcher is their second best hitter. That That's how annoying it is to watch the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That's how disappointing they are. They, they ruined a generational star once, and they're about to do it twice. It's the most amazing thing but ever in sports. You know what would be the true, true 
troll move by them. Watch their first good season. Their first like turnaround season is going to be with both of those guys off their roster somehow. It's going to be all of the Nationals from a couple of years ago when Bryce Harper <laughs> left and they ended up winning a championship. We're going to see them have their best playoff success, and it's going to make zero sense because – how can you not win when you have a guy that's just consistently batting over 300, hitting 30-plus home runs in your lineup? I, I just don't understand sometimes how baseball works in that sense that you could have that guy in your lineup, not win games, that guy leaves, and suddenly you're winning games. I mean, I know there's the mental aspect, there's the intangible aspect, but that's that, that's just insane to me how sometimes that works. Like, we talked about the Guardians. No, the Guardians it, weren't even supposed to be at this point in the season. Like, they're, they're just hanging around and they, that makes no sense, but yet they might win the division. I, I still have a little faith in the White Sox. I still like the White Sox roster better, and they're only three and a half games back. I know that they've had their uh, kerfuffles. Tim Anderson went on the IL a couple weeks ago, and he's starting to get back and healthy. Um, they have Lance Lynn barely coming back and starting to get healthy. So Liam Hendricks is on the IL for them. So the White Sox have to get healthy first, but three and a half games back in June is not a bad place to be if you're the White Sox because the Guardians, to play well through three months, is a surprise. So they can jump them. And then the Twins being also tied at the top of that division, the Twins did go out there and make the moves during the offseason to try and compete. Although Carlos Correa, because he's one to do, got hurt. Carlos Correa has dealt with injuries this year. So... You look kind of how these teams are built. The White Sox, I still think, are in a good position. I think one of the let, – let's talk about some disappointments, too, uh, aside from the Angels, who are disappointing just because everything about them. Uh, my Mariners pick, my Mariners winning the AL West, has not aged well. <laughs> and I, I do want to call myself out uh, on this one. 13 games back of the Astros. I thought the Astros were going to fall off, and it just turns out you talk about well-run organizations – Astros are good. They continue to no, be good. No, sir, Bob. The Houston yep. Astros will never die. You're going to have the Houston Astros to take them down. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, at one point the Mariners had a worse record than the Oakland A's that are actively trying to be bad. When For the Mariners to have a worse record oh, than the A's at one point during the season, I, I thought was the – Oh shit! My pick of the the Mariners to win this division is one of the worst picks I will make in the entirety of the podcast, whether it be the NFL, NBA, or MLB. That that is one that I I will have to eat that L. I'm eat, firmly eating that L. That L. I might as well put one like on the back stand here, the shelf, and that's going to have the Seattle Mariners etched in pen on it. Yeah, that that one's pretty bad. Uh, my, <laughs> I'm glad that you did serious American League Central analysis because all I say about the American League Central is the American League Central is a pyramid scheme that exists well, only to steal well, millions also, of dollars from the American. Let me also hammer on the Tigers while I'm at it. Then the Tigers have <laughs> just been gross this year. They have been shut out like nine times, ten times throughout the year. They they just can't get anything going, and they're. Scooballs have at least been good, so they they at least got a little bit from like their rotation. Um, but oh my God, the young guys aren't producing. And Javi Baez, their big free agent acquisition, batting under two hundred last I checked. In fact, I haven't batting. Sometimes he's getting benched outright, benched by his manager. AJ Hinch he says, "I can't play this guy. I can't play this guy and win games. This guy you paid over a hundred million dollars to acquire. 
Think about this one also, because I'm jumping backwards a couple points to what you said. Mike Trout's going to have a 16-year career with the Anaheim Angels. And during those 16 years, they're going to pivot seamlessly from $30 million a year for nine years for Albert Pujols into $36 million a year for seven years for Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon has four years and $135 million left on his contract. He's already out for this season. He missed two-thirds of last season. During the bubble or during the pandemic season in 2020, he was actually like one of the MVP frontrunners during the 60-game season. But Anthony Rendon is the worst contract in Major League Baseball, worse than Javi Baez. And the Angels just pivoted seamlessly from Pujols right into Rendon. Like, like how do they do this? It, it, it almost feels like a black magic that the Angels have. Like, it, we, Deal we've all the seen the movie, The Angels in the Outfield. They, they got some serious demons in that organization. They just drag players' careers down through the depths of hell whenever they go out there. That's the only way I can explain it. And, and in fact, I, I would say playing for the Angels is like living in baseball hell. That, that's what I would describe it as. Because No, 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 no. Base, no, no baseball no, no, hell no. is Pittsburgh. Baseball hell is Pittsburgh. <laughs> See, there was a couple years there, though, of sunshine when it came to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And what you would say about them, they have the number one rated, and some people go back and forth on this, the number one rated ballpark in America. So that, that's something. That's something for them. The Angels have an ugly ballpark. They have a limited fans. They're a little brother to the Dodgers. Um, they sign bad contracts. They have no rotation. They've been bad for like 20 years. Even if when they do win a championship like they did in 2002, it goes so far under the radar that most people can't even remember the Angels as a championship team. I, I, I think whenever I, I think about the Angels, no, they, they are hell. Because the fact that a player like Mike Trout can be as good as he is, can be as phenomenal as he is, and never advance, it's like purgatory. It's like being on a treadmill. And when we talk about those ironic punishments that they give people in hell, right? You know, oh, you were a glutton in life, so you're just going to eat donuts for the rest of your life type punishments. That's what the angels are. You can play as good as possible. You can play to the level of prime Willie Mays, and you will never win a playoff game. Tell me that isn't hell, Kyle. Tell me that is not it's- hell. It's one of those like classic deal with the devil situations where you get the greatest baseball player in the history of baseball and you get the modern Babe Ruth and you will never be able to make the playoffs. That's it's a it monkey paw. It is legitimately a monkey paw scenario if you are an Angels fan. And the fact there are Angels fans, God bless you guys. God bless you for sitting in that stadium, sitting in that ugly stadium. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to It's not ugly. I don't know where this is coming from. It's not ugly. ugly It's a nice stadium. It has the personality with the rocks, but it's a relatively ugly stadium compared to the rest of the league. I don't understand. Where is this coming from? It's a nice stadium. You know what? We are hammering on the Angels. We are making a point to tell the Angels their organization is bare booty ass cheeks. And this is where I tell them your stadium's bare booty ass cheeks, your pitching rotation is, your management is, your scouting is. The only thing that's not is Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, and that you are ruining them. You are ruining it for us. And that fans. one year of Justin Upton. They had that one year of Justin Upton, too. Here's what I'm hoping. You, know, you mentioned the Pirates. You mentioned the Pirates being a similar comp for baseball hell. Um, Mike Trout, yeah. he needs to have like that Barry Bonds moment in his career where he leaves to another organization and has success somewhere else. So same for Shohei Otani. Like, I'm still disappointed Shohei Otani even picked 
the Angels. He's like, yeah, you Otani know Otani can leave also after next season, he which can. is a whole fascinating thing. But the fact that, you know, he had the pick of the world, the pick of the litter when he was coming out of Japan, and he chose the Angels. Have you not watched this organization? I know they can spend, and kudos to them for being an organization that at least wants to be aggressive and spend. Like, I will give them that, right? Because they are doing the right thing in a way. If you know your organization's mid, you know they're bad. So let's spend our way out of it, right? We talk about how money can fix problems. Money can, like, bury problems and add solutions. It's just odd that they can make so many bad financial decisions for what players we thought were stars. Again, Josh Hamilton, in a vacuum, isn't a bad player to pursue. Albert Pujols, coming off all the success in St. Louis, isn't a bad player to pursue. But as soon as they get to your organization, they just nosedive hard mm-hmm. that is so yeah. beyond the peril that is that is so zach kozart ian kinsler you can keep going down this list there's a lot of them that this has happened to baseball hell 